Hey everyone, um, good morning to everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Glad that you're able to join with us uh, as, I, as we continue our sermon series on the book of Psalms. Um, you know, I was reminiscing about uh, a trip my, me and my wife took last year to Portland, Oregon. And you know, one of the things we love to do is we love to create playlists um, of songs that we, we enjoy or songs that we like. That reminds us of the place. So we, you know, we drive around, we 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 trek, and you know, with the songs that that we we created. But then when we get back home, you know, we still play that playlist. And what it does, it reminds us of that trip. You know, especially now in the last two months, we are stuck at home, can't go anywhere. We're playing those, uh, we're playing that playlist, and it's reminding us of the good times and the good food that we had uh, in Portland. And it, it kind of reminds me of this text that we just read, this, ver- uh, this chap- chapter 121. And um, uh, this, this chapter we just read is part of a collection of psalms uh, called the Song of Ascents. Um, and these were songs that uh, the Israelites would sing or pray as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the annual festivals. So they will play these songs and it was, there were songs of movement, of journey, of going somewhere. Um, but it's interesting, I think this particular text we just read um, is actually a callback to an Israelite pilgrimage um, uh, in the book of Exodus as they were wandering um, through uh, the wilderness. In chapter 6 of our text, it talks about uh, the sun uh, uh, protecting them by day and the, the moon by night, almost kind of calling back to Exodus um, 13, verse 21, where uh, we see the pillar of, uh, of cloud by day going with them and the pillar of fire by night going with the Israelites as they made their pilgrimage through the, the, the wilderness. So, so for the, the readers of the psalm, as they're making their way, to Jerusalem, there is this corp- corporate recollection um, uh, of their ancestors making this difficult trek, this difficult, making a difficult journey um, through the wilderness. So it's, it's interesting because then it starts out with this question, where does my help come from? As, as we make this difficult journey, this difficult um, um, and hard journey through the wilderness. Where does my help come from? The writer is not ashamed to ask this question. Where does my help come from? By asking this question, uh, he, he is um, um, telling us that, yes, the journey is hard. We need help. The journey is difficult. Um, and uncertain. We need help. So yeah, of course, he's assuming that um, he, he, the writer of this is assuming that uh, we need help, but two, um, that the resources the, that's available at that time is not nearly enough to remedy um, their situation. They need to look beyond that. They need to look beyond themselves. And that's why even as he asks that question, where, where does my help come from? He says, my help comes from the Lord. 
And for us today, and I believe this is this is really a word for us today that as we continue this journey, as we continue and endure the pain and the uncertainty of our times, that we ask that question. Where does my help come from? Where does our help come from? Because in so doing, what we do now is one, we admit our utter, utter helplessness. And two, we acknowledge that there is a higher power that is able to sustain us even in our time of need. Where does my help come from? Yes, one, we are admitting that we are in need of help. Now, often that's a very difficult thing to do. It's so hard to admit that you need help, right? I mean, just imagine like just uh, I, it's, it's hard to, to tell people to, to tell like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Because you can often feel inadequate. You feel insecure because you just want to be able to do it on your own. But, you know, I, but I think there's freedom in admitting that we need help. There is freedom that, that, that comes when we're able to humble ourselves and say, no, I, I, this, this is tough. I need help. Because what it does, then it, it enables us to freely walk humbly before God as we rely and lean on him to guide us through um, whatever difficulty we might find ourselves. It changes the way we pray because we can now rest in Jesus. We can now rest in God. That sometimes even now that you don't even have to utter a word. You can just, you can just kneel down or just lay down and just be silent. And in that silence, you are praying as you are laying bare before God. But again, it's hard. It's hard to admit that we need help because so, so often we put up walls, we construct walls and blinders that, that, that disable us from um, our, our ability to be introspective and see that, yeah, oh man, I feel insecure, I feel inadequate right now. And part of the problem too is just, you know, when, when I think about this and, you know, you might be hearing a lot about just the the, the myth of American exceptionalism. And I think, I think um, the, it, it's something that is embedded within an every, every one of us that has lived here for a long time. We want to be exceptional. And this prevents us from revealing our insecurities, revealing our fears. Even Christians, we, we, we love to hide behind the, the you know, lofty Christian words the positive thinking words that make us feel like, yeah, you know, just rejoice in the Lord always. Just be joyful. Just, you know, just be happy. And, you know, and when you're happy, then, you know, it's supposed to somehow disappear. No. Deep down inside, you feel the fear. It's there. It creeps up on you even when you go back to sleep. When you're all alone and you can't sleep, yeah, the fear is still there. Often our comforts and our securities prevent us from being, uh, 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 from revealing those fears, from, 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 from being helpless, being broken. Because we, we embrace them and we use them to distract us from the, the, the lack of control that we're feeling. We use them to numb us from the fears and the realities that we're going through. But then we're able to dissociate ourselves from 
the true reality and find ourselves living within the prison of our false security. It's no wonder why so many of us can find ourselves just prayerless. We're so prayerless, we don't need God. We have come to rely on our own abilities. We have come to rely on our own security. So then why do we need to pray? No, we don't, we don't have to. Just do what I have to do. Just go about my own business. But when we are in touch with our humanity and in touch with our brokenness, it frees us to rest in God. It is the part that connects us. It's that part that actually unites us with the divine. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For the one who is able to peel the layers of, of uh, security and comfort and all the layers that we've put on, all the walls we've put around us, and, and, and strip ourselves bare that we are giving the kingdom of heaven. We are given the presence of God. We are united with him. And the same thing that um, um, David alludes to in Psalm 51. It's like God is not interested in your charades and your sacrifices and you bringing the best and, and your best prayers. No, God is in, interested in a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God is interested and us being brutally honest and vulnerable before him and admitting um, admitting how helpless we are right now. Um, you know, one of the things um, you, know, you might be asking is how can, how can I do it? How can I be, be honest? Um, I... I think one of the things we, we, we can do is, you know, asking ourselves, how, how am I feeling? How, how, how do I feel helpless right now? Um, you know, admitting that you feel out of control or out of sorts. Taking an inventory of your own personal um, lives. Um, your own personal heart right now. And one of the ways you can do it too is just reflecting on your temporality. Coming face to face to God with, uh, coming face to face with um, your mortality. Um, the reality is, yeah, that we are here today and tomorrow, the next or the next, we may not. Um, that's why uh, David uh, said in one of the Psalms, like, teach me to number my days. Teach me to come face to face with my mortality. Teach me to know that I am utterly helpless. Teach me to be poor in spirit. So we do this by... Um, admitting our own personal um, needs and personal helplessness. And that's one of the ways we do that. Um, the second way we do that is admitting the collective helplessness that we are experiencing even in our world right now. That, the, that there are folks around us who are affected by this pandemic. 
I mean, folks in our community who um, are affected um, economically, um, friends here that have lost loved ones, um, knowing that man, there's a community experiencing pain and distress right now. We do this also by even um, acknowledging the events of this last week where we, we, we see um, the young man, Ahmad Arbery, being um, killed and, and just left on the ground there to die. This tragic reality of what it means to, to be a black man in America knowing that, you know, I, we, we are often perceived as a threat. Um, knowing that sometimes I have to think about where I can run when I'm away or traveling or, so I, ha I have to make sure I think about it. Um, Yeah, we have to embrace this collective distress and not think that this is somehow some isolated incident. No, this is something that is embedded within the American culture. This evil, this racism that, that's embedded within this culture. Um, we have to embrace this collective distress. We have to embrace the collective distress of Asian Americans who are experiencing the, the, the evil sentiment because of this virus, who are assaulted, who are um, um, cursed, cursed at. This is evil. But this is a distress that we all must collectively um, um, see that we are helpless. Um, we must admit there is a collective helplessness that we are all experiencing. And as we do this, my friends, we just, as we, we don't just ignore it, as we, we don't just pull up walls and um, live in the comfort of our own homes. No, we actually open our eyes and our ears and see that there is a distress that other brothers, other sisters are experiencing. And it's collectively something we experience as we do this as we come helpless before God then we can actually acknowledge that there is someone who can help us there is someone who can be who is with us that is guiding us even through this in verse 2 the writer talks the writer um, of this psalm um, acknowledges who gives help he says it's the Lord the maker of heaven and earth, the one who has brought us into existence. It is God who has done this. It is God who can help us. And he is watching over us. He's watching over our coming and our going. He's the one that would not us, let us, um, uh, let our, uh, our foot slip. He's watching us by day and by night. God, the maker of heaven and earth, is watching us. 
Now the question you might have is, well, how is God watching over me? How is God watching over me when I lost the job? How is God watching over me when um, uh, my friends are sick? How is God watching over me when I'm feeling lonely? When I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job? How is God watching me, Craig? How's God watching over me when I've lost a loved one? How's God watching over me? It's the same question I have. The same question that I'm wrestling with. How's God watching over me when this virus has hit so close to home? Why is God watching over me when I, 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 I see politicians um, use Christians as bait for their agendas? How's God watching over us when this, in, in our failed leadership that has politicized this pandemic for their own gain? How's God watching over us? Now, the American Christian will say, well, dear brother, have faith. God is watching over you. You know, trust God. You know, he can quote, the brilliant verses for me. Lean not onto your own understanding. The, the one without faith will say, well, I told you, there's no God. But then Jesus, <laughs> what would Jesus say? He would weep. He will weep. He will weep with us. He will mourn with us. He, he, he will weep. Because he knows. He knows our pains. He knows our sorrows. He knows. He's experienced it. His foot slipped. He was imprisoned all night on a Thursday. He was, and on, on, then on a Friday, he was crucified in the heat of the day. He knows. So he weeps with us. He mourns with us. But we know that on the third day, he, he was raised from the dead and he is seated with, Christ, with God in the heavenly places and he watches over us even now and he empathizes even with what we are experiencing now. All that Jesus is requiring of us is that we come with our honesty, we come with our vulnerability. And in so doing, we make way for him to, um, to help us, to guide us. Um, I, in this book about prayer um, by Halesby, he said this. He said, for it, is only, for it is only when we are helpless that we, are open, that we open our hearts to Jesus and let him help, in our, help us in our distress. It is only when we are helpless that we open our hearts to Jesus and let him help us in our distress. 
It's only when we actually come to him in our helplessness and acknowledge that he is God and he is watching over us that we can actually be truly transformed and changed. There is no need for us to come without bravado, no need for us to come with, with, with all of our accolades and, our, and accomplishments, but we come bare before him, acknowledging that he is God with us. This is my prayer for us. Amen.